My name is Tracy Anderson. I'm a business development manager for Skanska USA Building. I'm also a member of Cornette New York's Public Policy Committee, which is hosting today's event. We're really excited to introduce today's panel of highly esteemed life science subject matter experts. Our panel will be moderated by Yasmin Ahmed Patti, principal at East Egg Project Management. Our panelists are Bill Harvey, Managing Director at Newmark, Matt Weir, Senior Vice President of Commercial Asset Management with Taconic Investment Partners, Christina DeRose, Director of Real Estate and Space Management at Weill Cornell Medical College, Ken Schoenfelder, Director of Real Estate for the New York Blood Center, and Carlo Yubienko, Vice President of the New York City Economic Development Corporation. We wanna extend a big thank you to all of our speakers for being here with us today. Just a few quick housekeeping items before we get started. Please note that all lines will be muted for the duration of the event. If you have a question, please feel free to drop it in the chat box, um, which you can find at the bottom of your screen. We'll be monitoring the chat for your questions and we'll get to as many as possible in the last 10 minutes or so of the event. And I think that that's it for announcements. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Yasmin to kick us off. Yasmin is having technical problems. Can you hear us, Yasmin? She can hear us, she just can't um, call in, I think, or the audio is not working. It looks like she's on mute as well. I don't know if there's a, um, maybe a call in number that you could maybe call in, Yasmin, like to, you know, do the audio over the phone. Did you guys want to um, perhaps maybe um, put up the uh, the timeline that that we had um, discussed before, and then maybe um, maybe we could just kind of get into it that way? Yes, mean it looks like you might be back. We still can't hear you though. <laughs> We want to start with intros. Yeah, why don't we start with intros? Yeah, why don't we do that? Matt, go ahead. Sure. So Matt Weir, Taconic Partners. We're a New York City-focused developer and landlord. We currently have over 2 million square feet of commercial development in various stages of active, either pre-dev, planning, construction, or repositioning, and a large chunk of that is in life sciences. We have two projects um, currently underway, both on the west side of Manhattan. The first is the Hudson Research Center, which is a 320,000 foot building, 180 of it, so over half will be um, wet lab space. And then um, our most recent project, 125 West End Avenue, 400,000 square feet. And uh, we look forward to talking more about those uh, as we get into it. Um, Christina, why don't you go next? Sure. So I'm Christina DeRose. I'm the Director of Commercial Real Estate for Weill Cornell Medicine. Weill Cornell is the medical school of Cornell University, and it's affiliated with New York Presbyterian Hospital on the Upper East Side. Um, we cur I currently oversee our 3 million square feet foot portfolio of both life science, education, and clinical slash medical care. Um, prior to coming to Al Cornell, where I have been for the past five years, I was a senior vice president at the Economic Development Corporation in its real estate group. That's great. Carla, why don't you introduce yourself? Great. My name is Carla Yuvienko. I'm a vice president of life sciences at the New York City Economic Development Corporation. NYC EDC, for those who aren't familiar, is a nonprofit corporation that functions as a quasi-government organization and sole um, mission and, and um, alignment with the city's goals for economic growth, um, predominantly through real estate development, but also through programmatic initiatives like life sciences, a lot of which life sciences is involved in. Ken, you want to go next? Sure. I'm Ken Schoenfelder. I'm the head of facilities and real estate at the New York Blood Center. Um, many of you know us as a local um, not-for-profit that collects blood and distributes it as well. Um, we are almost a national company now. We have um, uh, divisions in Kansas City, Missouri, in Nebraska, um, Minnesota. Uh, we serve the Delmarva Peninsula, Rhode Island, Southern New England. In addition to the um, blood collections, 
uh, we've always been involved in research from the early 60s when the company was founded. Um, so we've, we've developed uh, hepatitis vaccines and, and all kinds of things. And uh, that's why we're so excited about the new project we have. We're looking at um, a 595,000 square foot uh, research facility in the building in the area where we currently are now. And we'll talk about that later. Thank you. That's great. I, I just I quickly introduced myself. I'm, I'm Bill Harvey. I'm a broker at, at Newmark. Um, I got involved about 10 years ago um, with the life science um, sector here, the, the burgeoning life science sector here. I was actually uh, tabbed uh, by Yasmin, um, not ironically, um, to assist with a, a requirement that I um, eventually became the, uh, the New York Genome Center. Um, when that deal closed in 2012, we all thought the next um, the next big deal was was really inevitable. Um, but it really it, it took a couple of years. And just to kind of um, show you what a kind of a tight circle this is, it 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 happened at one of Mass Buildings at 619 West 54th Street. It was the uh, the New York uh, Stem Cell Foundation, and I think that was in 2017, Matt. Um, uh, since then, the life science sector has really um, grown kind of exponentially. Um, we're now the landlord agent for King Street Properties in a labs building in Long Island City. Um, we brokered a deal um, over the summer for botanic properties um, to acquire another redevelopment site also in Long Island City. I'm currently talking to a handful of other um, owners and uh, would-be owners about um, a couple of sites in Manhattan um, we're also pretty active on the uh, on the tenant side. Um, I would just ask for all, all of the um, attendees if you could um, if you could uh, mute your audio until the the Q and A starts. Um, there's a little bit of feedback that could be a little distracting for the for the speakers. Um, I'll, I'll kind of step into Yasmin's shoes here um, for a second um, and. I think everybody can see the um, the timeline that I, I kind of described very very loosely with the uh, the genome center, but I think life science in New York City really predates um, even even that deal. I think that was kind of viewed as one of the uh, the linchpins, but it, it really got started um, in earnest a couple of years before. It was really an effort um, by the Bloomberg administration to um, jumpstart life science. I think there were um, a number of kind of economic development imperatives that Carlo might be able to um, speak to a little bit uh, better than me, um, but it would start off in, in, in 2004 with the, uh, the Downstate Incubator in Brooklyn, which is um, connected to uh, SUNY Downstate Hospital. Um, that kind of grew into an RFP that became the Alexandria Center for Life Science on the east side um, there's two towers um, developed in 2010, 2014 um, that were really kind of the 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 sun um, around which everything in 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 life science revolved for a long time. Um, a lot more competition uh, recently. We'll get into that, I think, in a little bit a little bit later. Um, Harlem Biospace, which um, uh, was started by a, a professor at Columbia named uh, Sam Sia, um, and it's still going. Um, I think really gave a lot of um, people the confidence that there was really something more to life science in New York City than a, a series of one-off um, transactions. Um, Harlem Biospace is an, is an incubator. It's only about 3,500 square feet. Um, um, you know, pound for pound, it's actually one of the really more kind of produ productive labs um, in the city. Uh, companies like Epibone have 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 come out of there. Um, I know that that Harlem Biospace was 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 looking for more space um, fairly recently. Um, I know I know Sam's kind of dual position as the the founder of of Harlem space of Harlem Biospace can um, often. Um, tug on his time as a, as a full-time faculty member at, at, at Columbia. Um, so um, there's probably more to discuss on that later. I think um, kind of more broadly, the, the, the role of the incubators is very important in the development of the life science cluster here in, in New York. And perhaps we can get into that um, a little bit later. I think one of the other kind of watershed moments um, for the development of, of the cluster happened in December of, of 2016. 
And that was when both the state and the city um, jointly committed to over a billion dollars in life science um, initiatives. Um, the project that I'm involved with um, at InnoLabs was the uh, beneficiary of a tax abatement. That's a, uh, of the, the $500 million that the uh, city committed to life science. Um, a big chunk of that was in the form of a tax abatement. Um, perhaps we can get in, into that in the Q&A section. Um, Alexandria Launch Labs um, opened in, in 2017, followed shortly by um, J Labs, which is a division of, of, of Johnson & Johnson. Um, Biolabs came a year later. Um, you know, between those three incubators, that's about 100,000 square feet. Um, when you add on the incubator at SUNY Downstate, um, it's even more. You see, I think the last, um, the last logo in the, uh, the timeline is um, Alexandria's most recent um, launch labs facility. And that um, is opening, or if it hasn't opened already, up at, um, at Columbia University Medical Center. I think this is where Yasmin was gonna hand it off to Carlo. So Carlo, yeah, thank you. My apologies for the technical difficulties. Um, but yeah, so the other, um, what I was gonna say is the other really big move that uh, EDC did in 2016 is hire Carlo, um, who's done really, really great things um, and is really well go-to um, at EDC. So um, if you wanna continue the timeline from where you started, Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, maybe I could uh, tell a little bit more about my particular background and how I got into the EDC and then um, how that plays into what the EDC has been doing. So as Bill and Yasmin said, I started with the EDC in January of 2016, right around the time when uh, Yasmin and others were uh, together with the EDC, we're concluding an infrastructure study, taking stock of uh, not just the existing supply of, of wet lab life sciences real estate in New York City at the time, which included the Alexandria Center, but also where the demand for that type of class A and class B wet lab space could go in the next 10 years, depending on how the city intervened. And so I got in um, beginning of 2016 as we were taking the findings from that study and uh, synthesizing a plan that later became the mayor's uh, LifeSci NYC $500 million 10-year plan. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to take a step back for a minute here and uh, sort of put the question to the audience, given the fact that many of you may not be familiar with life sciences as, a, as an industry. Um, of why life sciences in New York City. Um, and it's sort of the classic puzzle that EDC has wrangled with even since you know, the beginning of this timeline and even before that with earlier efforts um, of you know, New York City having so many rich assets among its academic institutions, among its research, independent research institutions like the New York Stem Cell Foundation that, it, folks, whether you're in government or in the private sector, were asking themselves, well, why, why has New York City not matured and taken shape in the way that Boston, Cambridge, or uh, San Francisco Bay Area, or even San Diego has uh, flourished with respect to the life sciences industry? And, uh, you know, it's something that EDC has always tried to uh, figure out, before 2016, there were a lot of sort of toes in the water and, and big and small hypotheses tested, both in the Alexandria Center on the east side being one of those bigger hypotheses that clearly has been uh, pretty validated to date. Um, but also to Bill's point, um, more humble efforts that still pound for pound indicated strongly to us at the EDC that we should continue to invest in life sciences. And of course, I'm referring to Harlem Biospace there and SAMSIA's uh, heroic efforts in, in st standing that up against, uh, a, you know, some would argue a, a mountain of, of odds against that being a success. But sure enough, uh, the academic community in New York City combined with the entrepreneurial talent from both local and non-local uh, were attracted to New York City of what it had to offer, not just in that early career scientific workforce, 
but also the workforce of our um, regional partners in whether it's New Jersey or in Westchester. And then also the core science that was uh, birthed out of and is continuing to be birthed out of our academic institutions, uh, Calliope being one of the, the, the bigger ones in recent memory that's taken root in, um, in the Alexandria Center. But now we're starting to see uh, additional companies sort of take birth. And, and maybe Matt, you can speak to, to a little bit of Hybercell and, and how they've taken root in Hudson Research Center. Um, later on. So that brings us to 2016 and late 2016, where EDC um, launched LifeSci NYC, which really consisted of primarily three uh, levers of, of cash and prizes, if you will, um, at, uh, to a variety of stakeholders. First would be connecting uh, research, the core research to industry. And for that mission, part of the, the program, we allocated 150 million in city capital dollars that are bond finance dollars that could, would go to nonprofits or restricted to nonprofits for either uh, construction or equipment. Um, the second primary lever is, and the majority of the funding would be in the form of 300 million in tax abatements through the Industrial Development Agency that is managed uh, through this, the EDC. And so the executive director um, of that program and the uh, supporting staff sit within EDC, specifically within our strategic investments group. And that's very similar to the industrial and commercial abatement program or ICAP that is issued as of right, depending on eligibility of sites and projects, but has the ability to go deeper depending in terms of incentives, uh, not just in timeline, but also in the extent of the benefit, um, depending on the programmatic uh, definitions of the project. And uh, so that is not an necessarily an as-of-right program, but more of a discretionary program that we evaluate on a case-by-case, application-based basis. And, uh, and then the third is uh, programmatic dollars that would help uh, program these sites um, or program uh, you know, entrepreneurial support, uh, similar to uh, some of the programming that was offered by Harlem Biospace in yesteryear. And so since then, we've seen a flurry of activity, mostly in the incubator uh, establishments, uh, as you see here on the timeline. Um, and, but we are starting to see larger scale developments like, like Bill's and in, in, in King Street's in uh, Long Island City with InnoLabs, but also the Hudson Research Center, um, 345 Park Avenue South, which is a, another EDC project uh, that we worked on with Deerfield through an IDA pro, uh, tax abatement. Uh, all of these programs, I'd say, you know, one first off, and this will probably be hammered home later in the in the panel, that a lot of homework went into, and diligence went into these uh, these projects, and this is sort of not, um, you know, not to be taken on lightly, right? But also, the programming is just as important for these sites as the wet lab features of the site. And that's something that also I look forward to hearing the rest of my fellow panelists speak more to as well. Um, and so with that, I'm going to hand it back to you, Yasmin, uh, to take over. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Um, and again, apologies. Um, so I, I'm just going to add in and if, uh, you know, forgive me if it's already been said, but, you know, when I started at EDC, so I, uh, I don't think I introduced myself. I'm a um, project manager, real estate and economic development consultant. Um, my firm is called Eastside Project Management. I was at EDC from 03 to 07, a lot, uh, sort of when this uh, sort of initiative or these, these, this concept was started. So my first uh, project at EDC was to uh, write the RFP um, where Alexandria was selected um, and that turned into the Alexandria Center, right? So I feel like I've watched this uh, sector grow over these last uh, 18 years now. Um, and in the beginning, it was in fits and starts, right? We, there would be something like the first building of the Alexandria Center and then nothing for a couple of years. And then, um, but uh, certainly recently, the momentum has been, has just gotten so much stronger and there's so much activity. We're going to talk about supply and demand. Um, and then I think, um, and, and so let's talk about, you know, if, if Carlo talked about what um, efforts the city has made. Um, we wanted to also talk about what really comprises a life science cluster, right? And so 
Um, we've got small startups. Um, you know, we mentioned a couple here that come out of our um, uh, that come out of our universities. We've got what twelve. You know, not however you want to count it, but we've got some amazing institutions all around the city. Um, not to mention uh, 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 Long Island and, New and the surrounding area. So there's the young startups that come up. There's the big pharma, um, as we know, in New Jersey and in, uh, in Westchester, and they're all locating here in New York now, especially, for example, at the Alexandria Center. Um, and then the institutions themselves, right? So we've got a couple of um, representatives from the institutions here. Um, but let's start with Bill um, and talk about what kinds of spaces you work with and what kinds of clients. Yeah, so it's um, it's a great question. I think um, especially for um, I think an audience like this one, um, many of you are are kind of new to life science. Um, there's a tendency, I think, to um, think of life science space as somewhat monolithic, um, but in truth, it's actually very um, is very different. I mean, there's 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 a lot of different kind of types of space, kind of. Um, you know, I was, I was on a call this morning and we were kind of joking about this, but, um, you know, at, at the kind of lower end, there's something called dry lab space. Um, you know, we often kind of refer to this euphemistically as, as glorified office space. It's, it's office space, but um, it's office space. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps with like a little bit more power, there's a real eye towards um, bioinformatics with, with uh, dry lab. Um, it's really interesting. If we have time, maybe in the, uh, the Q&A, we can kind of come back to, um, to the specific field of, of uh, bioinformatics because it's, it's kind of at the confluence of um, what I would call biotech, but also um, more generically just tech. Um, so that, that kind of on the lower end, um, there's, there's a lot of different, different lab spaces. There's, there's uh, biology labs, there's chemistry labs, which actually tend to be a little bit more expensive because of the, the, the fume hoods and, and the, uh, the venting. Um, we have um, um, in the market right now, there's um, incubators, there are accelerators. Um, I think more kind of um, general um, is the, the common. And I think that this actually surprises people too is that when you think of a building that's even that's that's a, a specific building designed for lab, it's really only about fifty percent of it that's that's lab, and that um, that that ratio can can tilt a little bit. Um, but if you think about what scientists need, it's you know they also have a need for offices, they have a need for conference space, um, etc. On on the higher end, um, in terms of cost, um, vivariums, uh, animal animal research facilities. There's a couple of tenants um, in the market right now looking for uh, vivarium space, but that's kind of um, that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, I think um, there's a couple of um, Christina certainly and Ken can can talk about perhaps maybe some of the more institutional uses. Yeah. So thank you, Bill. Um, Christina, can you yeah can you add to that in terms of what kinds of spaces you work with, how they you know if if and how they differ from. Um, say commercial spaces, um, and also from the, for example, the spaces you worked with when you were at EDC with the Alexandria Center. Yeah, so I'm also an alum of EDC. I think there's actually quite a few of us here. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of location for an academic medical center, they're they're a little different in that, um, you know, obviously we have established researchers, and so we sort of I view ourselves as in terms of if that if you're talking about the three legs of you know startups, big pharma, and um, academic, we sort of, we work a lot with both of them. A lot of our professors and researchers start their own startups, um, sort of based on their academic research that happens in our institution. And then once they commercialize it, they then are starting up their own individualized startups. Um, and then we also work a lot with Big Pharma. Big Pharma funds a lot of our research as well that we do in our laboratories. Um, and so there's a lot of um, relationships between um, those three. Um, so in terms of location for us, or just you know the type of real estate we use for laboratories, if we're not looking at laboratory space on our campus, um, you know, we have approximately a million square feet of research space. Um, as an academic institution, when we're looking for space off campus that's research, we do look for actually a large amount of it. Um, you know, a lot of the startups will take three, four, five thousand square feet, something small. Um, for us, we have to take a large chunk actually, um, partially because um, a lot of 
academics want to be near the medical campus. That's that's their home. That's where they have some of their research. If they're teaching, a lot of them are teaching. Or you know, Cornell is known for its physician scientists, and so most a lot of our scientists are practicing physicians, and they're in the hospital a lot as well. And so they kind of want to go back and forth. So if we can't get space right by the medical center, which is always at a premium, we try to create a large location somewhere else so that those researchers that are there, there's a coherent reason why they're all there. Maybe they're all chemistry researchers or bio, biology researchers, but also that they're not being felt like they're sort of being banished to Siberia um, to create that sort of cluster within themselves. But then they also do like to be, as I said, near the academics and the big pharma. Um, so I think that's, that's um, part of sort of what we are looking at when we're looking at space, aside from just sort of the regular building mechanics. You know, we want a lab building, um, we want a building that ideally is turnkey that you know we don't have to spend a lot of money to, to move into. Okay, great. Um, so Ken, uh, let's get you in here. Can you tell us about the blood center's activities? Um, you know, it's I think most people think of it just as just as the place where you go to donate blood, but I, there's a lot more to it, right? So tell us about that and how that um, affects the space that you look for and occupy. That's absolutely correct. Thanks. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, the Blood Center has been involved in research since its inception back in the early 60s. Um, <clears throat> more recently, though, what we've done is we've been leasing space to kind of build on what Christina said, because we're right near Wild Cornell and Memorial and Rockefeller, um, and not too far from Mount Sinai. So we've been leasing uh, laboratory space and office space to third parties for a few reasons. Um, you know, it helps us um, buffer um, our space uh, needs when we uh, have excess space and excess lab space. It helps us uh, amortize, you know, some of our investments in the large scientific uh, equipment, you know, electron microscopy and uh, all kinds of analytical equipment. Uh, we have a, a fair size vivarium. Uh, so some of the people who are third party uh, life sciences tenants in our buildings are using all those facilities. Um, so it's really helped us a lot. Um, in, in more recent years, this has been more of a core business for us, if you will. You know, we're actively, um, I wish we had more space. <laughs> we're actively looking for uh, people to um, collaborate with and, and uh, not just rent space to them anymore. So the reason for our project, our new project is number one, our, our building is, is worn out. It was built in 1930. Uh, as a trade school, as a high school. Um, and you know, at the time, in 1960s, we made it a, um, a state-of-the-art research facility, but 1960s are a long time ago. Uh, so for us to attract uh, scientists and for us to expand our role um, as a accelerator, if that's a good word you know, to use, um, you know, we really need a new facility. So that's the reason for it. Um, pure and simple. We're in a great location. We're right in the community with the other um, uh, academic institutions to do spin-off um, uh, for-profit uh, uh, startup companies. We have some tenants that um, start with literally about 200 square feet of bench space um, and a little bit of equipment. And some of them grow to 4,000 square feet um, you know, of rental space. So it's, it's really an exciting time for us. Um, that's it for now. That's great, thank you. Um, so uh, speaking of, uh, of, of space and especially new space, Matt, can you tell us um, you know, what made you uh, and Taconic enter this arena and um, what kind of, how did you decide what kind of space and you know, that whole story? Absolutely. So as I mentioned during intros, Taconic is focused in investing only in New York City uh, as a geographic area. <clears throat> and so historically we have, um, you know, we've invested in several different industries as they've emerged in New York City. Years ago it was um, data telecom, you know, office and retail are sort of the bread and butter, but within those, you know, getting more specific tech office, for example, medical office, and obviously the latest is life science. And I think ultimately we believe in New York City. Um, you know, there's there's various reasons uh, why talent wants to be here, given the, the attributes of the city. But with respect to life sciences, I think it began with the robust demand drivers that are here. And Carlo mentioned mentioned all of them, and and Christina, and, and you know the institutions that are here, the foundations that are here, Blood Center, New York Stem Cell, etc. 
So I think it was a combination of understanding the fundamentals, understanding perhaps why it hadn't quite taken off yet. Some of that was a real estate challenge. So ultimately, as we've done with other sectors in the past, is we saw the challenge, we understood the real estate specific components of that. And so our goal is to create solutions to that. Um, our first investment, the New York uh, at the Hudson Research Center, which by the way, we acquired it not to be life science. It was a great flexible building that could be many things. But when we saw the need, um, when stem cell came to us, we learned that our building um, was well suited for it. And in all of the important areas where uh, when, you, when you look at the feasibility, zoning, ceiling heights, the ability to put uh, an enormous amount of infrastructure on the roof, bring the verticals down to the floor, uh, et cetera, the building, the building was well suited to it. So what we're now doing both at HRC as well as at our new project, we have a vision where we're, we're seeking to create space for the whole cross section. So I think, you know, you guys have, we've talked about the, the legs of the stool. Bill mentioned how each of them have very specific needs depending on where you are. We like to see that whole mix within a building. I think that's what we mean when we say ecosystem. Christina touched on how the various components react to each other. The early stage are spinning out of institutions. Big Pharma wants to be near that. They get to see what the the investment pipeline looks like in terms of new innovation. So we want to create spaces where incubators can exist. We we're currently in our main focus is on plug and play pre-built, whether you call them graduation labs or step out labs, uh, where early stage companies can come in, many of them venture backed. They're still in the in the early rounds of, of, of their technology and proof of concept, but they need plug and play solutions. They need speed to market. That's what we're currently focused on. So we've built uh, 15,000 feet. We've got 100 that is in planning and construction. We're delivering the next chunk of space, 32,000 feet um, in July of this year. And then the next floor of that, which will be another 30,000 by the end of the year. So this is a, a, an environment that is, as Bill mentioned, um, wet labs that are designed for ultimate flexibility. So whether you're biology, whether you're chemistry, and whether you have sort of an offshoot within that biomanufacturing, um, we, we seek to create the most flexible space, which often involves additional investment upfront, but it makes it future-proof. And again, it can be for the, the variety of, of tenant types that, that we've talked about, but ultimately we're seeking to create space for everyone. And in that we're creating an ecosystem, not only within each building, but also if you look at where our projects are located, um, on the west side of Manhattan, we have sort of a, a, a cluster unto itself that we're really excited about for a variety of reasons. One, just the, the, the different um, companies coming together, creating a community, but also, you know, for, for line of sight and, and to growth and, and things of that nature. So ultimately it was, and, and again, New York Stem Cell in the early days, working with Carlo and his team, and, and I forget the exact timeline, some of you still may have, might have been at EDC, but we started those discussions back in 2016. We have been very active in the sector since we have uh, always been big believers in New York and very much so for this sector. When you look at all the demand drivers and this was all pre-COVID. During COVID, you know, this is one of the sectors du jour. I think everyone's focused on it now. Um, we think that there was considerable momentum pre and it's only been accelerated during We've not seen any slowdowns. Um, you know, we have over 100,000 square feet of active prospect negotiations happening right now, which would be all the space that we have available. So we've been at it for a few years. We are big believers. We've seen it accelerate. And obviously, we're investing in, in the next project. So that's, that's the sort of role that we play is, is to create these environments for groups like Ken and, and institutions like Wall Cornell and the like to, uh, to come together. And we think that there is considerable growth for New York City. The, the many projects that are now starting to deliver merely create an opportunity for it to take off. It wasn't quite there before, as you've all talked about with the timeline. So we, we couldn't be more excited. Great, thank you. So that segs nicely um, into our next question. We wanted to talk about, uh, we wanted to ask Bill, um, you know, there's there was this, uh, lack of space for such a long time, right? That was really one of the biggest hurdles. 
um, you know, hence the life science uh, infrastructure study, hence the, the initiative. So how are we doing now, Bill, in terms of that supply? And then we'll talk about demand as well. Yeah, I, I, I think we're doing incredibly well. Um, you know, our own stats um, show that there's about a, a million and a half square feet that's going to be delivered um, in calendar year 21. So that's, that's really, it's, it's about 180,000 square feet at the um, Alexandria Center in Long Island City. Um, they are, they have, I should say, redeveloped um, kind of a typical Long Island City um, industrial building. They've repurposed it for, uh, for life science. I've, I've toured it a couple of times. It's beautiful space. Um, Janus Property Company up in uh, West Harlem is um, developing the Tasty building. Um, I put a little bit of an asterisk on, 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 on Tasty in that um, while Janus is very open to a life science use here, um, they have not gone ahead and kind of spec'd out the base building infrastructure kind of necessary for, for life science. Um, um, so it's, it's in a little bit of a different category than certainly the Alexandria building, um, what, what Matt has done um, at 619 West 54th Street and, and what they will be doing at 125 West End and, and certainly the, the Deerfield and King Street properties. Um, Himmel and Maringoff, um, somewhat similar. They have um, a, a building at 525 West 57th Street um, they are going to, um, they've, they've fairly recently begun kind of marketing it for, for life science use. Um, my understanding is that they're going to pre-build some space there. Um, Thor Equities, um, somewhat ironic, it's, it's actually in, in New Jersey, um, but because it's in, in Jersey City and only um, about 10 minutes from the World Trade Center, we consider that as part of our, our catchment area. Um, they have a 350,000 square foot building that's going to be kind of, uh, again, repurposed for life science. Um, the Deerfield building at 345 Park South, I think someone had alluded to that earlier. Um, Deerfield is actually uh, moving its, its headquarters um, from 783rd Avenue um, to Midtown South. Um, in addition, they're, they're really kind of creating a, a great atmosphere for... Um, uh, for life science, they're going to be um, building out some space for their own companies. Uh, they had recently done a deal with a company called uh, Protara, um, but then they they'll also have um, significant space for um, for kind of third party leasing. Um, and then the the uh, the King Street uh, GFP building in Long Island City that I mentioned that 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 we're involved with, it's about two hundred sixty seven thousand square feet over six stories, um, right in the heart of Court Square. Um, I'm a little bit biased, of course. It's a great, it's a great sponsor, great value, and a, and a great location. And um, you know, we've we've also had tremendous interest um, in that building. And then I think um, you know, just that's about a million and a half um, square feet right there. And then the other kind of hundred is um, the ninety-six thousand or um, square feet um, that Matt and his team are adding on to uh, to six nineteen West Fifty Fourth Street. So about 1.6 million square feet in, in total delivering this year. And then um, to Ken's point, there are a number of other projects. Uh, Ken and Matt both have, have kind of projects in the offing um, still a couple years out. Um, and then there continue to be uh, rumors about a number of other projects. Alexandria is, is talking about a third tower um, on the existing Manhattan campus. They have a number of other properties, both in Manhattan and uh, even um, a, a second site in Long Island City. Yeah, I think um, when we have this panel again in a year or two or three, um, that timeline is going to get um, a lot more filled up, right? So we're going to have some. Um, so Christina, can you tell us about um, while Cornell and maybe, you know, if you're speaking for the other AMIs as well, um, in terms of how your demands affect the market, um, how your presence um, affects the market? Yeah, I mean, I think for a while, Cornell, so we've been a medical school in, in New York City for over 120 years. Um, we, um, you know, are obviously never going to leave the city, unlike, say, other, <laughs> you know, other companies that eventually do leave. And so we've always, um, you know, looked for space in New York City, um, specifically, like I mentioned, near the academic medical center that is you know, Paramount, it's also really hard to find spaces. I'm sure Ken knows, you know, there's a reason that 
Cornell is next to MSK, which is next to Rockefeller, which is next to the blood center, which is only a few blocks away from Lenox Hill and Mount Sinai, and I'm sure I'm forgetting others. Um, but so in terms of our demand, you know, research is, is, um, is a really important component of our three-part mission. It's, it's in our mission statement to research. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, our campus itself is, you know, constricted and it's, it's um, we are starting to outgrow it. We did open our brand new Belfer Research Building about 10 years ago. Um, but as we look for space off campus, I think that's something that people are sort of um, more open to. I think, like I said, there there is really, I think in the academic world, a real strong bias towards staying on the campus, not going that far, not, you know, wanting to leave the campus. Um, and so that, that does take a lot of sort of, um, persuading and handholding to get, you know, whether they be doctors or researchers to leave, medical doctors or researchers to leave the, the main campus. Um, so as we look for new space, you know, the, the quality of the laboratory really matters and um, sort of the clustering really is important. Who else will be there? That's always a question I get asked by researchers when we're looking for spaces, who else is in the building? And that really does matter to them, um, both from just, you know, the types of collaborations that they can create, um, as well as just who else is there. Um, and I think, you know, you see that with, with all of the medical centers, um, sort of that they've always wanted to stay where they were, but are kind of forced to move out because there just isn't the space. Um, and I think that is something that is pushing us to look, you know, farther afield. Um, proximity to our main campus, though, is really important. That is a vital thing. Um, I can't imagine we would ever go to New Jersey because of how far that physically is from um, the main campus, um, because the proximity to the main campus what is important. And that can be via transit, but there has to be sort of a quick, logical explanation for why we are where we are. Right, right. Um, uh, and just a quick clarification, do you, it, your purview, is it medical space for the, the clinical staff as well as research space? Yeah. So I oversee all of our real, all of our commercial real estate. So we have about a million square feet of research and by research, I mean, wet bench research, because we do also have dry lab mm -hmm. and there's, you know, internal debates about really do we, internally at Cornell for my real estate portfolio, do we categorize that as office? Cause really Bill said it's glorified office space. It's just office space. It's not even glorified. Right. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, and then I also do oversee the clinical. Um, and that is a greater, um, you know, there's a desire to be near the patient. So that, that's not a hard sell to get people to, to get um, medical doctors to open up a facility, you know, farther from the campus, because that's about being near the patients. You know, we actually uh, last this month opened up three new locations. Um, so we are definitely okay. uh, plugging full steam ahead with the medical part of it. Great. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think while there is, um, what, I mean, there, there's maybe some overlap. Um, I, there is the distinction um, between healthcare and health, you know, medical clinical space yeah. where you're seeing patients um, and the research space. And, and listen, the, the big, um, you know, for, for a few years now, translational medicine, that bench to bedside yeah. um, has been really a focus, but there, it is too different types of spaces. So it, you know, oh, yeah, they're two, from a real estate perspective, they are two totally different types of spaces. I mean, I think from, you know, Cornell is, like I said, um, you know, we pride ourselves on our physician scientists and we are a bench to bedside type of, um, you know, facility. But in terms of the physical qualities of the space, they are very different. Um, the HVAC requirements are just so much more on the laboratory, the layout, the fire, the safety, the floor loading, things like that. Um, at, whereas at the medical, there is also actually a, a great HVAC need as well, but it's, it's different. Um, and actually I think it's HVAC is really the big thing that always ends up being the stickler in, in a lot of our leases actually. Um, and I think, um, you know, I can't remember who made the comment, but like one of the things we do when we look at spaces, we have like, we do a really extensive deep dive on the HVAC of the building before we determine whether or not that's a space for us, both from a clinical and a research perspective. Okay, yeah, and I think that maybe, um, and I, we're going a little off script here, but to um, 
something that Bill talked about earlier when he was talking about the supply. Um, this idea, there's, there's lab, there's plug and play, right? What Matt was talking about. There's sort of, you know, my, you know, I sign the lease and I can, I'm a scientist, I can sign the lease and walk in tomorrow and start doing my work, right? Start, you know. Um, and then there's lab ready buildings and then there's lab friendly buildings. So I don't know if Matt or Bill or anyone wants to talk about that distinction just to understand the, the sort of levels. And, and a lot of it has to do with that infrastructure. Yeah, right, go ahead. So plug and play, I think, is is one end of the spectrum, as you said, that that's got all of the infrastructure and all of the, the lab casework, the benches, fume hoods, etc. Um, you know, I think some of these terms are, are um, uh, not so clear, but I think generally what lab yeah. ready means is that the infrastructure or the backbone is in place. So as Christina said, HVAC is the biggest driver of feasibility. You need significant air handler systems or whatever the, the, the specific system is, but significant, uh, and it's mainly driven by the fact that you, in lab environments, you have once through air in a uh, uh, significant volume. So you need to get air to the floors. Um, you need to get exhaust. So in your fume hood environment, uh, and also accounting for the ones through, you need to get significant uh, exhaust amounts out of the building, typically to the roof where you have cannon fans or, or, or the like. So that brings up the verticality of it, the, uh, the, the mechanical uh, verticals. So air down, uh, exhaust out, acid neutralization is another component. All, all uh, plumbing fixtures within a lab environment need to go into a, an acid neutralization. So that's before you talk about significant electric load and, and generator. So lab ready buildings have those components in place and you're ready to fit out the interior as the tenant would um, would need. You know, lab friendly or lab hopeful or, or some of those other terms are capable. buildings where will have capable, you know, they're, they're buildings that you have some of the fundamental attributes. So do you have roof space? Do you have the vertical possibilities? You have power, et cetera. Um, I think the distinctions come into play when you look at those opportunities of have the landlords done the, the actual engineering studies with, with um, engineering teams that know it. Do you, do you actually have a plan and, and do you have a handle on how much that'll cost and uh, the time frame to do so? But that's, I think, the high levels of, of those various categories. Yeah, that's great. And I think, um, listen, it, it sounds, and you know, Matt, when you were talking about sort of the trajectory and the path that Taconic took, it, it's a steep learning curve, it sounds like, but it's also um, it's also a long one. There's a lot to learn, right? So I, it's not, um, it, it's, it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of investment. Um, it, it, so you really want, um, I, I'm always saying this um, as a project manager without, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an architect, I'm not a, uh, you know, designer, all those letters after my name, but I know um, there are some really, really great firms in the city and you have to have uh, those folks on your team. Right. You, you yeah. know, really the folks who know what they're doing, who've done it before. Yeah. Um, 100%. And, uh, and yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and there's, um, so, the, I was just going to say, there's definitely a learning curve to the physical side of it, but also, you know, from a leasing perspective and an ownership structuring, mm -hmm. you're going to hear on the early stage side of things, tenants are looking for shorter term only because their funding may necessitate it, their growth plans may necessitate it. So you look at the sort of tension between significant investment, shorter term leases, not your traditional credit tenancy type. These are all things that you hear about that come into the, we'll say the, the learning curve on the, the feasibility and, and structuring and financial side as well. You know, um, I, was just, I was just going to add to that. I, I think that that's, that's a real crucial factor. Um, the, the kind of quote unquote typical tenant, um, typical life science tenant in New York is probably less than 10 or 15,000 square feet. Um, they don't have um, a back office staff to handle, handle real estate. You know, typically they need, uh, when they need space, they need it very fast, right? It's, it's going to be driven off of one or two milestones, whether it's kind of a funding threshold, they, they get their series A or they go from their series A to series B or they hit some kind of regulatory um, threshold, they get their FDA approval and they need space instantly. Um, and to Matt's point about the, the growth trajectory of these 
tenants. When you're designing space, you have to um, incorporate a lot of salvage value into it because a company, it's very, very rare that a company will kind of live to see the end of its lease. Hopefully they'll outgrow the space oftentimes. And there's, you know, there's examples, you know, recent examples in New York City about companies that just didn't, um, didn't make it. So you want to you want to have a team, um, you know, whether it's engineering, architecture, um, to really kind of help you design space so that there's, um, you know, residual value after after that 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 first tenant vacates. Yeah, and I was just going to throw in, uh, you know, and and he didn't pay me to say this, but uh, even the broker, right? So to Matt's point about what types of space to look for, especially um, what to look for in a lease, so <laughs> so you certainly want someone who knows what he's doing. Um, so I think it's time for questions now. Um, did we want to, um, Courtney, were we going to ask questions out of the chat or did people want to put their cameras on if they had a question? How are we doing this? Yes. Um, if people could uh, put their cameras on, if they're asking the question, we also have a list of questions that were asked in the chat as well. So, yes, I mean, if you just want to look at them and pick them out and you know, I think that'd be the best way to go. Oh, you're muted, Evan. I'm on fire today. <laughs> um, Lisa McGregor from Jacobs had a question about pharma and demand. Is Lisa still here? Mm. Let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of take that um, without her actually asking it, but um, I'll tell you this is that, you know, we did a virtual tour last week for um, one of the major uh, pharma companies. And um, it's, uh, we did it with a scientist, a very senior scientist, and they're um, one of the real estate uh, facilities directors. And I was promised a half hour, and this is a meeting that I really had to kind of claw for. And, uh, the meeting went for about an hour and 15 minutes. And so um, I'm not saying that this is a deal that's going to happen um, imminently, but I was actually very surprised by how kind of receptive they were to it. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really talked about, and this goes exactly to her question about with, you know, kind of typical suburban campuses. Um, I saw someone else asked a, a question about, about Long Island City and Amazon. And I think that they're very related um, in that I think that companies are looking to attract a very young, sophisticated workforce. Um, you know, we're all hoping that the COVID is, um, I was going to say a blip, it's obviously more than a blip, um, but we're hoping that this is kind of a pause and not a real harbinger of, of things to come and people fleeing the city for a lot of reasons. Um, but we think that that's the case. And, and I, I think that, you know, for the same reasons that, that young people have always wanted to come to cities, um, after a, a brief pause, uh, we think that they'll be back. So yes, there, there has been interest uh, from, from Big Pharma. Yeah, I'm just gonna add to that in terms of um, Long Island City. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a little biased myself now after having done a, a feasibility study for the, for the Long Island City Partnership a couple of years ago, I didn't know what was there. Um, there is so much there. Um, and the one thing about, uh, I guess, the, the Amazon question, what we are, what I'm learning, I, I talk to, to small companies all the time, and I'm always looking for more to talk to because I'm the type of, um, my role as a project manager, when they, uh, again, hit a big milestone, they have real estate questions, um, I'm the one to hold their hand through them. Um, but what I'm hearing is that in terms of talent, and I know there's a question in there about talent um, versus, say, Boston, um, the, the, the small startups used to compete with big pharma and academia for talent. And now more and more, they are um, seeming to compete with the likes of an Amazon and a Google and a Facebook for talent, right? So I think the same to Bill's point, the things that drew Amazon to Long Island City um, are also drawing life science um, there as well. Um, and to New York in general. I mean, I, you know, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the center of the universe, right? So who wouldn't want to be here? Um, there was a question about zoning. Um, so if maybe, I don't know if Carlo can speak to that, but there was a piece on, in the, that Pat Sullivan 
and Elise Wagner put out last week in Cranes about, um, uh, you know, should zoning be friendlier? Is, you know, what does it look like? Um, the, last week, there was also a panel from Milrose um, that a couple of us were on and talking about that. But Carla, do you have any thoughts about zoning and where the city's thinking is on that? Yeah, I mean, certainly right now we are at a point where we're looking to see where further modifications to zoning regulations might be necessary for specifically the wet lab development. But um, I can speak to 2016 and our efforts to at least clarify together with DCP and uh, DOB the existing language and to um, make it friendlier, I would say, through that interpretation that we issued out in, in 16 uh, to developers in terms of developing web lab space. And so you might remember before that point in time, um, at best it was unsure whether or not one could develop in a C6 or a C5 or even a C4 wet lab space. Um, you know, even in, if you wanted to develop it in C6, you would have to go for in what, what was called at the time special permit for R&D, which is what was issued for, I believe, the Cornell Tech Campus on Roosevelt Island, as well as for the uh, C6 zone of, of the Alexander Center. But Christina and, and Yasmin, you could probably correct me uh, uh, for accuracy there. Um, moving forward, though, after several meetings with DOB and DCP, we came to the conclusion that wet lab R&D is... Um, effectively, at the scales of what we were talking about, no different than a microbrewery in terms of complexity and industrial equipment. And so um, we came to the term determination that uh, it should be allowed uh, as of right in C6 and C8, and I think even as deep as C4. But uh, understandably, uh, and, and, and Matt and, and Bill, you could probably speak well to this, that industrial stock, M1 stock, buildings actually lend themselves better to life sciences space and applications than a typical retrofit of a C5 or a C6 zone building. Um, and then I guess moving forward to the primary point of the question, Yasmin, we're all ears in terms of what else is needed if it's more of, of uh, expediters needing help or whether it's further deeper clarification or even um, amendments or changes to the uh, zoning, either in a, in a particular neighborhood or citywide, that's something we're, we're keen on, on hearing. Yeah, I, I would just add um, to what Carla said, the, the, the M zone buildings are, are um, they tend to work out really, really well for this, right? It's, um, it's the, uh, the floor loading, it's the ceiling height, it's the loading dock. Um, I think a, I'm, I'm not an architect um, by any means, but I think I think a lot of people will tell you that kind of a, a short fat building is better than a tower. Um, Matt had kind of alluded to this um, when he was speaking about um, just, you know, it's just much easier and uh, less costly to run your, your, your system um, through a you know a, a ten story building than it is a twenty story building, um, I would just say kind of parenthetically about about Long Island City, um, as companies and 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 institutions like Christina's think about clustering, it's much easier to be confident about a cluster when the zoning is as of right, and so that's um, because of the the industrial heritage that you find in Long Island City, um, where you know most of Long Island City is actually zoned for M. Um, it's just, it's very easy to kind of make that argument that, um, that you won't be a pioneer there. Um, you know, Matt has actually done that uh, really successfully. Uh, 619 West 54th Street um, is in an M zone. Um, and, you know, there are, are, are parts of the city, um, especially on the, on the edges um, that are also zoned for manufacturing. Ken, um, along those lines, is your, I don't remember, is your site, uh, what is that zoned? And, and I know you're going through a ULERP, so if you can't speak to that, I'm just wondering about the zoning and how that affects your plan. Uh, in in Lyle City, we're in an M zone, but in uh, um, Manhattan, we're in an R zone. I mean, I'm sorry, in a C zone, a commercial zone. Um, and we're mid-block, so uh, there are some challenges there, and that's why we're going through the ULERP. Uh, but, you know, we've been there since the 60s. We have all the infrastructure that uh, Christina, Bill, and, and uh, Matt mentioned, um, you know, all the, the waste systems, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, so I think we'll, uh, you know, we're hopeful uh, that we'll be uh, able to expand the facility there uh, because it's, it's right where it has to be, uh, right near the so many other large academic institutions um, where if you can get them, you know, as Christina said, if they get them to walk a few blocks to um, another facility for their startups, it's, it's really quite an advantage. That's great. Um, Courtney, do we have a little more time? Are people willing to go over? We, we do, as per the, the Zoom. I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the panelists, but um, you know, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to your discretion, and, and anybody that's interested can, can remain on. Okay, um, Mindy Williams. I've got like five minutes. Um, asked, yeah, we can we can do a couple minutes. Um, Mindy sure. Williams asked about demand. Um, and I know we talked about it a little bit, um, you know, so maybe Bill and, and uh, anyone can speak to it. I, I know from my end, again, um, I've been tracking companies for, that are getting funding, right? And so through this um, pandemic, I've been really, really pleased to see how many companies are getting funded, especially in New York, um, and some really, really big numbers, right? So um, generally that means a company needs to, um, again, grow hire people, move uh, to new space, new equipment, new capital investments, things like that. Um, I think that speaks to the incentives, um, right, that play into that because there are city and state incentives that, that uh, can support that growth. Um, so I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Anyone else? Yeah, I'm, I'm also very optimistic. Um, we are, tr we're tracking demands. Um, it's funny, we just had a, a sales meeting yesterday at, um, Newmark sales meeting. And, you know, we have a, we have a tenant in the market list that is, uh, you know, everyone kind of sees and it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's fairly accurate. Um, it's, it's much harder to kind of document and quantify demands for life science space. We're tracking about a million square feet. Um, not all of that is going to kind of come to pass. Um, some of it is kind of chunked out in, 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 in larger tranches. Um, Columbia University, for instance, is, is, is thought to be one of the largest um, tenants um, out there. Um, you know, we track down to, you know, 1,500, 2,000 square feet. Um, I think one of the most kind of significant um, drivers of demand, um, it's something that that we talked about kind of earlier and I wanted to um, circle back to, it's, it's actually the incubators. Um, if you look to the example of Boston um, and you know, Boston has all of the incubators that we do. They have uh, biolabs, they have um, uh, J labs, they have launch labs. Um, and then they have a couple of others that we don't have yet. But for argument's sake, if, if, those, if those incubators total in aggregate, um, let's call it 200,000 square feet, the companies that graduate from those incubators will demand anywhere from um, three to four X, so 600 to 800,000 square feet of space on an annual basis. So it's really, really significant. And you know, the multiple that we get here in New York isn't gonna be nearly that high, but because our inventory is so low comparatively, um, the bump that we'll get out of the incubators will be very significant. And we're already seeing that there's, um, there's been two two companies that have graduated from from biolabs um, um, that are taking you know significant chunks of, of space in in, in buildings um, and there there are others that will follow them so that's that's a that gives me a lot of hope yeah and in particular Bill when you consider that <laughs> I think biolabs and and J labs have been open for twelve months yeah, right? yeah so exactly. those are relatively new. And I echo that we've seen significant demand from tenants coming out of those already within 12 months. We had figured this would take two years, three years. Um, the average size that they're spinning out into is 10, 15, 20,000 in some cases. So if you look at the multiples of, of both square footage, um, there's real organic growth and I think real pent up demand before you even talk about where the next wave of of growth comes from. And I think if you look at the occupancy rates in the incubators, there's probably more of those needed uh, immediately as well. So very hopeful. Yeah. Yes, I mean, um, I yeah, so we wanna wrap this up, I think. So okay. I just wanted to throw, uh, just two super, super quick. Um, there's a really good question about uh, 
about um, resources and uh, researchers and connecting the community a little bit more. So I think um, the, I could talk about that for days. So I think maybe that's another panel that we bring in um, that we that we put together. And there's another question about um, HVAC. So I think that um, this is a great discussion. Um, I think that uh, once I finally joined it, um, it, there's so much more to talk about. Um, so feel free to reach out. I think we'll work with Tommy. Maybe we'll do this again. Um, so thank you. Thank you all. Um, this was a, a really great discussion. Um, this is Margot Jaffa. I'm with All Steel. Just want to give a really big thank you to all the speakers today. It was a, a great, great discussion, very informative in terms of the insights on this topic. Thank you to all the um, participants. Um, we appreciate you joining today as well. And hopefully we'll see some of your faces later today at the, uh, the Cornet New Year's party this evening. Thank you. Thank you all. Great. Thanks, thank you. Hey, have a big thank you to the committee for putting this together. Absolutely. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.